Welcome to Tax Bites for Expats, the top tax tips you want to know as an expat. The podcast is here to help answer the common queries and concerns expats have when moving to or from Ireland. Complex taxes explained simply. We'll focus on the Irish and international tax issues to be aware of to ensure you save time, money and stress. Hi, my name is Stephanie Wickham from expattaxes.ie. You're listening to the Tax Bites for Expats podcast, the show that explains the do's and don'ts of income taxes for people who are moving to or from Ireland. Hi everyone, um, thanks for joining us today. So today we will be speaking with uh, Brad Murphy of Murphy Tax Lawyers, uh, based out of Melbourne. So Murphy Tax Lawyers specialise in Australian expat tax matters. Uh, we've spoken to Brad before on an earlier episode um, and we're really, really delighted that he's decided to join us again. Thanks so much for joining us, Brad. It's great to have you back. My pleasure, Steph. It's great to be back. And uh, yeah, look forward to the yeah. podcast again. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much. And we were chatting before we start to record there about, you know, what would be the most appropriate thing to talk about today. And one of the things that comes up quite frequently when we talk to particularly Irish people who've lived in in Australia for, for some time um, is this concept of tax residency. So today we're going to talk about tax residency in the, from an Australian perspective and uh, what it means and with specific reference to uh, the disposal of a property in Australia. Um, so, for example, if somebody has uh, lived in a property in Australia, maybe returned to Ireland and decides to rent that property out in Australia and then subs- subsequently goes on to sell it. So we've got a bit to get through, Brad, and thank you very much yeah, for joining us. Um, but on the concept of tax residency in Australia... Give us the DL. What's the? <laughs> yeah, how long do we have? No, it's not 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 quite that bad. But I guess yeah, Australian residency um, is probably a little different to a lot of countries around the world. In that, in addition to a day count test, there's also this more sort of behavioural and subjective test that needs to be satisfied to break Australian residency, and that would normally entail a a clear and permanent two-year move out of Australia to become a non-resident of Australia for tax purposes. Um, you know, so that, that test would apply to Australian citizens, um, to Australian you know, permanent residents, so an Irish citizen that would come down to Australia and get their PR in Australia. Um, you know, just I think it's a big area that does cause some confusion. Um, it's you know, it's got to be that two-year minimum break. So returning to Ireland on a permanent basis um, would, would certainly be enough to, to break Australian residency. Um, and I guess broadly, you know, what that means is that is important in that once you do become a non-resident of Australia, uh, normally your employment income would not be taxable in Australia um, going forward. So it's restricted to Australian source you know, property or, or share income after that point. And, and that's why okay. it's important. Yeah. So that's actually an interesting point. Um, so, for example, so we've seen maybe less so now, but, you know, definitely in the middle of the pandemic, uh, you know, Irish people returning to Ireland from Australia and keeping a job with their Australian employer. And I, I think we touched on this in a previous podcast. But um, so essentially what you're saying is once they if they're returning to Ireland permanently, the employment income is no longer taxable under Australian domestic rules. Did I get that right? That's that's exactly right. And it's a you know, normally an area a bit of confusion, that one, in that once you do break Australian tax residency, if you were to go back to Ireland and do your employment um, 
while you're living and working in Ireland, day employment income is only taxable in Ireland going forward and not, not Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you are paid by an Australian company um, as an employee or contractor, um, that income does not actually have an Australian source. Um, and that does create some issues. Obviously, normally, if you're paid by an Australian employer, there's going to be withholding taxes applied from that income. So, in terms mm-hmm. of getting the money back you know, from the ATO, um, or claiming a credit in Australia for the Irish taxes paid. Because um, as you would know, Steph, that income will be taxable in Ireland um, under the tax treaty first before Australia. Yeah, so I think it's just important just to make sure before that move um, you know, is, is carried out back to Ireland that you have that conversation with your employer, with your advisor, just to make sure you've got that employment structure correct from a tax point of view. Um, just so there's no mm-hmm. you know, mismatches in timings in terms of uh, being double taxed or just to make sure you've got the right structure for both you and your and your company. Yeah, no, that's a, a really good point. So it, practically speaking, if somebody's coming back, um, let's assume that they know they're coming back for more than two years. Is, is, it, is an intention alone sufficient or does an individual need to take steps to be able to demonstrate that they are going to you know be away for more than two years and be able to yeah. de- show that prove it essentially yeah that's a that's a fantastic question yeah you, you would need to demonstrate it um with, with the ato and it is a, ses- um, a system of self-assessment in australia so you would declare on your return your residency status by lodging your australian return but it is important that you do take some steps to demonstrate that um, and that would normally involve um you know, cutting your ties to australia um, in terms of if you've got a lease here cancelling a lease you know, telling the electoral role here if you're on it that you're living overseas, updating your address with your banks to your overseas address in Ireland. And also at the same time, demonstrating that you've got you know, an Irish you know, property or accommodation over in Ireland, um, Irish employment, just to demonstrate that you have cut your ties to Australia and Ireland is your new uh, permanent abode, as the ATO like mm. to use um, that language. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, from the point of view as well, of I see this play out sometimes... Um, there's sometimes a cash flow advantage I find in a year where maybe you might leave Australia and a year where you come to Ireland partway through our tax year. Um, so acknowledging that the tax years aren't identical. But um, would it be right to say, you know, you're taxed up to the point you leave in Australia at the appropriate rates? And then obviously from an Irish perspective, if you come here partway through the year, we generally find that the individual's tax rate or their, what we call their effective tax rate is a bit lower in that first year that they come because their Irish income or the income that's taxed in Ireland is is all taxed at a lower rate because they haven't earned a full year's worth of income and used up um, the full standard rate cutoff point, which is the amount of money in Ireland you can have at the lower rate of tax. Is it right to say that, you know, if you leave Australia, um, you're taxed to the point you leave at the appropriate rates? Does there ever a need for kind of a, a reconciliation after you leave to kind of see if you've overpaid tax or how does that work? Yeah, that, that's a a great point, um, and certainly that is the case in terms of you, know, you leave Australia, you'll be a part, you're resident on the on the date you leave Australia, which would mean um, you know, from that point you're not actually res- um, residing in Australia going forward, so you would not be a full year tax resident, but only from the date you leave Australia, um, and obviously that does coincide with entering um, the Irish system, so you're taxed on a you know, part year basis in, in both countries, which does have some advantages for sure in that normally there'll be a refund of tax due in Australia, you would have overpaid, we your employer would have overpaid pay-as-you-go withholding on your employment income normally. 
So there'll normally be a refund due um, when you file your exit return in Australia. And obviously on your side, um, Steph, as you enter the Irish system, there'll be obviously less income in the Irish tax year. So you, you can, I guess, you know, work the two tax systems there to your advantage as well in that regard. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a really yeah. good point. I suppose uh, you disagree with me if, you, if this point isn't correct from an Australian perspective, but I suppose generally speaking, when we see people coming back to Ireland and, you know, maybe they've worked in Australia up to the point that they they left and then they come back to Ireland and they get a new job here. My comment would be, you know, there isn't a huge amount of complexity in that scenario most of the time, you know. So uh, probably my comments around, you know, um, residency and the complexity that it can sometimes give rise to it becomes more relevant doesn't it when we see people who have uh, non-employment sources of income or for example um, income in Australia that will continue after they leave from a passive source such as a rental property or shares would you agree with that that you know generally we see the employment situation isn't the most complicated one if you're starting an employment in Ireland with an Irish employer and you cease one with an Australian employer the day you leave yeah absolutely for sure I mean I think the, the employment situation you know um, isn't not overly complicated um, it's just yeah just making sure you get the the right advice and the right accountant to help out in that regard but where we see I guess the biggest issues in terms of um, you know big mistakes being made I guess is um, Australian property in particular and, and the biggest mm-hmm. one is um, there's been a, a recent law change in Australia um, a couple of years ago that has now denied Australian non-residents um, access to the the main residence exemption if they sell an Australian property so what is quite common you know um, an expat would come to Australia, buy an Australian property, live in it, and they sell that home from overseas. They'll, they'll pay full tax on that if they're a non-resident when they sold that property. Whereas if they're an Australian resident when they sold it, they'll get the main residence exemption with, with no tax. So it's really important to think about that. If you, you know, do move to Australia, buy a property here and you live in that home, try and to sell it while you're an Australian resident is really, really important. And what's the um, a side point from the tax, but what's the the market like there, Brad? Because yeah. I know you guys had like a big, lot of activity during COVID. This, this is another good point too. It's uh, the, the, the market boom during COVID. Um, I think it's probably the same over in Ireland as I understand it. Um, and now it has you know, fallen away quite a lot in the last six months with rising interest rates. So I think it has this rule always catches people off guard because obviously a, a move back overseas normally comes with a bit of bit of a rush, bit of haste, bit of a last minute type, you know, job offer or something um, or family reasons. And, and often, obviously, the time to sell a home in Australia, it does take time. You know, it often can take a year and you want to make sure you get the sale right so you're getting the best offer on your home. So I think that's a real key one, I think, if you are looking to move back to Ireland, you've got an Australian property, to allow yourself plenty of time to sell it um, and to plan on just being a resident of Australia when you do sell it. Because you've got the option mm. to, one more point, which is relevant here, you can rent out that property for six years and retain the full main residence exemption in Australia. So you could, you know, in theory, go back to Ireland for up to six years and you know, come back to Australia and re-reside in Australia and sell it and retain the full exemption. So that's an option too that a lot of taxpayers do um, take advantage of. But I think this is really important just to really plan around that before you do make the move back. Because um, there's also withholding tax too, which is a 12.5% withholding tax for non-residents on the sale of Australian property. So that, and you would need the ATO to confirm if you're residing in Australia or not at that time. So that, that's right, why it's okay. important 
Yeah. I assume that's got issues mm. for yourself as well over there in Ireland, Steph, in terms of the main residents. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose, and this is where it becomes interesting sometimes because, you know, I generally say to people, not so much with a move from Australia, but, you know, when you come back to Ireland, you once you trigger residency, it, it's, it's usually a case of thinking about what your your taxes are in, in the context of the Irish rates. And, and the reason I say that is because usually the Irish rates are, if they're applicable, are higher. That's what we see most of the time. But there's, there's always, you know, scenarios where that's not the case. And I think the disposal of the Australian property is one where um, that would... You know, for example, let's say someone is selling a property in Australia, they've returned to Ireland, they're not getting the full main residence exemption in Australia. In Ireland, we would use our own domestic rules to determine if there was an Irish capital gains tax liability. And that would be with reference to our equivalent relief, which is called the principal private residence relief which is broadly just a tax relief that exempts the sale of the family home from capital gains tax. Um, so you could, in theory, have a situation where Australia is levying tax because you don't meet the criteria for the, the domestic exemption there, but it could be still fully exempt in Ireland or only a portion of it taxable. Because um, am I right in understanding, Brad, if you don't get the exemption is the full amount of the gain taxed or is it still prorated? Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is the real, I guess, thing in the tail. It's the full amount of the gain that's taxed. It's not, not prorated, oh, yeah. which, which is different to a, an Australian investment property, which is prorated. Um, the other concession you get on Australian property is a 50% discount long-term capital gain on investment properties in Australia. And um, that concession is also denied for non-residents of Australia, but that's not on a prorated basis. And you lose that for the period you own the property and you live overseas. Whereas the real hit is the, the main residence one where effectively, you know, on day one, if you sell it and you're living in Ireland, you get hit with full, you know, basically 45% tax on, on the gain, which is... Yeah, um, that's a disaster. It's, it's a bit of a disaster, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Exactly. Um, and, and from an Irish perspective, that would mean definitely that the Australian tax rate is higher. In other words, the individual walks away from the transaction um, having lost 45% of it because Ireland would give credit if if it was going to tax that gain for the Australian tax, but there's no refund from an Irish perspective of the Australian tax to the extent it's more than the Irish tax. Um, so that that's, I mean, that one point alone is just crucial, isn't it? You know, if you have a property in Australia, you're thinking of coming back, just be really aware of what the taxes will look like if you sell it after you break residency. Um, I'm sure that's something you, you drive home to all your clients. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? I think it's probably, like the, the, as we were discussing before the podcast, probably the, I think the biggest issue we see with our, our Australian mm. Irish clients is, is that particular issue. Because as you mentioned, like employment income, those issues, yes, they're complex, but they can be worked out. Um, they're normally more sort of short-term in nature, I guess. But that property issue is a, it's a big hit and can't be reversed. So, yeah, it does require planning well in advance. Yep. So if, I mean, I, I hope people don't find themselves in this situation, but, you know, let's say somebody's listening to this and they think, oh, you know, I didn't take the advice. Firstly, they should contact you. <laughs> um, but, but before they do that, and while they're mulling it all over, you know, you, to go back to your point earlier, there is scope to rent it for six years, but you must live in it again after you rent it. Is is that what did I understand that correctly? Yeah, ex exactly. And this one um, 
is somewhat confusing, so if I've misled anyone uh, or anyone doesn't understand, please feel free to drop me an email and I can explain in more detail. But you can effectively um, rent the property out for six years and retain that full main residence exemption. So the HO says that you can rent the property out for a period of six years and you get that full exemption still under the main residence rule, but you must be back in Australia when you sell it. So that means you've got the option potentially of you know, living in Ireland for up to six years, renting out your Australian property, coming back to Australia and selling the property, and you still get the full exemption, which is what you know, some people do, um, in the, given the, the, the law change. Um, and one more point on that is you can't just come back to Australia just to sell the property and then you know, go away again, back to Ireland. It must be you know, moved back to Australia for for reasons other than that sole purpose of selling the property in Australia. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah, something to, to certainly bear in mind as well, um, especially like, given the market conditions at the moment as well. Yeah. Definitely. And, you know, if you've got a large gain um, and, you, you know, it's it's a big amount of money, you can understand why people would consider those drastic actions if it came to it. Um, but, yeah, you'd hope people aren't in that situation, um, ideally. Yeah. So I suppose in terms of if somebody's back in Ireland and they have an Australian, let's say they have an investment property in Australia and they're renting it out, um, what are the things that you generally say to them from a compliance perspective? I mean, I, I see this, you know, quite frequently. I, I'll, I'll talk when you've done your bit about the Irish side, but I'm keen to hear what you kind of say to people when they're leaving Australia and they have a rental property there. Yeah. Yeah, look, I think the first point is just don't forget to file the strain returns for that property income going forward. We see it quite a bit where, you know, clients um, or taxpayers go overseas and forget to file their Australian rental income on the Australian return. So, you know, first and foremost, please remember to keep filing every year in Australia. Um, if, if it's a loss, if the property is making losses, so if the interest deductions exceed the rent, um, you can claim those losses going forward indefinitely to offset future income in Australia as well. Um, the other point would be that, um, you know, that, that net income from the property is taxed um, in Australia at 32.5% for a non-resident, um, so that there's no tax-free threshold on that income for a foreign resident. Now, you, you can do a few things to help mitigate that through superannuation contributions from that income, which is effectively a pre-tax contribution to your Aussie super, um, which can help to sort of, um, you know, lower that tax bill a little bit. But um, I guess the other key point would be on, on sale of that property. Now, just, um, it's important to remember that because it's Australian property, it's still subject to Australian tax, even if you sell it from overseas. And as I mentioned before, there is that discount of 50% as a long-term discount capital gain to reduce any gain by half on sale. But that's not available now for non-residents of Australia. So once you become non-resident, you lose that discount on a pro-rated basis over the period you're non-resident. So that's the other thing to bear in mind for, for non-residents having Australian uh, rental property is that yeah, the longer you are overseas, the, the less and less that discount becomes and the tax you know, can be quite high on, on sale as well. Um, and this is where you know, structuring that property you know, from the outset can be important as well. Um, it is quite common you know, sometimes to have some family in Australia, some back in Ireland, considering having some or more in the Australian residence name. Can, can be helpful as well um, as, you know, joint tenants or tenants in common as well. Okay. okay. Well, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Okay. So there's stru ways to structure to get an optimal outcome. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, to kind of maybe overlay just kind of briefly the Irish side, um, you know, if we see from the same 
perspective. Um, a lot of Irish individuals neglecting to fail returns for Irish rental properties when they're living overseas. But um, it gets confusing sometimes, I think, if if somebody has an Australian rental property and they've come back to Ireland and they tend to think, well, I've paid my taxes to the ATO, so I don't need to pay them again. And when we hear frequently is, well, there's a double tax agreement. Um, and I suppose it's just about maybe correcting the, the, the mistake, which is, both countries, in in the majority of cases, particularly for Irish people, get to tax the income and it would operate such that, you know, the ATO take their slice and in Ireland will work out what the tax is based on the individual's um, marginal tax rate in Ireland and take the difference between that and the tax paid in Australia. So it, it just comes back to the point I made earlier where, you know, if you're an Irish resident, we generally say to people, think about your tax costs in the context of your Irish rate, because that's normally how it works. Um, but I think that's a, an important point that tends to get missed, doesn't it? And, and it's understandable because it is complicated. Um, and, and sometimes then when people understand that, they, they make a decision as to, you know, I would be inclined to say to people, if you're thinking about renting a property in another location, it's always good to run these numbers in advance. Um, you know, whether it be understand, well, what am I going to walk away from the transaction with through the life cycle of renting or when I actually ultimately come to dispose it? Because, you know, when you are, you have a source in one location and a residency in a second, there's often a scenario where both jurisdictions have a right to tax the income with with obvious, obviously always exceptions but yeah. <laughs> generally speaking yeah. <laughs> exactly that that's so true you know with with tax treaties especially the australia island one um you know every source of income potentially has a, has a different treatment depending on what it is under that under that treaty so um and as you were saying you know steph there, there's never going to be double taxation but it's important to be aware that, you know, that income is still declarable in both countries, but there is a tax credit going one way to offset double tax, um, yeah, which yeah, it does exactly. confuse people sometimes, for sure. <laughs> it, and it is confusing, isn't it? Because even that phrase, you know, there is there won't be double taxation, yeah. that, that phrase itself, that, that doesn't mean that two countries don't have the right to tax the income. It's, it's, a, it's a confusing term. <laughs> it is, absolutely. And you've got, you know, your non-domicile rules too that make it even more confusing we potentially. Do, which, of course. You know, I'll let you chat yeah. to uh, on this podcast or maybe one going forward. We've got more <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. We did an episode actually the other week on domicile. Um, and it's a, yeah, it's such an interesting area and, and, and different from the concepts that you have in Australia, as, as I remember them from many, many years ago. Um, but one thing actually, <clears throat> I know we said we were going to talk about, um, Brad, was the, you know, exit exiting Australia and tax on, um, you know, assets you might hold you know, what why are the other things that people need to think of or be aware of if they're leaving australia and breaking residency yeah absolutely and this is a big one we see that again gets overlooked um we see is when you leave australia and become a non-resident there is an exit charge that applies um when you do become a non-resident now you can defer that exit charge and this exit charge applies to non-australian property so it's really shares so asx shares or Irish shares or US shares that they purchase while in Australia, or if you've got an Australian business, um, that's normally what it applies to. Now, I guess why it's so important is that you can make a choice to either pay the exit charge when you leave Australia based on the gain when you leave Australia. And after that point, it basically means you're outside the Australian tax net going forward for that particular asset, or you can defer it. Now, deferring it means there's no tax to pay on exit on, on Australia. 
But when you do sell those shares, you pay the tax at that point at that time. And the, the real sting in the, in the tail of that is you lose that discount capital gain for the period that you're non-resident of Australia. Now, this can be, it can be a big issue if you leave Australia, you know, just say it's a portfolio of shares in Australia, they increase in value quite a lot after you've left Australia and you sell them in, let's call it five, you know, five, ten years' time. The tax rate on that can be, can be high because you lose that discount capital gain for that period that you've been out of Australia. Um, and that's why it's, again, really important to think about you know, when leaving Australia, it, it can make sense to, sometimes to pay the exit tax on, on exit. Um, if you've got you know, no gain, obviously you'd be crazy not to. If it's a small gain, there's still merit in, in doing so. And it comes down to that point you mentioned before as well, Stephanie, in terms of because you're a part-year resident likely of Australia, your income may be lower as well in that year. So mm-hmm. it's taxed at potentially a lower rate too with a full discount capital gain. So um, I know we've had a couple of cases between us where we've seen that in practice. Um, yeah, it gets interesting. And, and I think, you know, even just listening to you talk, the, th- the takeaway I would hope people get from this is that, you know, Sometimes I, I'm sure people listen to this kind of technical discussion and think, oh, this just sounds so complicated and overwhelming. But the message at a simple level is, and we've said this before, but, you know, a little bit of advice in, in advance can go a very long way. Um, because as advisors, there's scenario planning that we can do to give people options. Um, so being proactive, really, it really pays off, doesn't it? Because, yeah. you know, then we can look at what's the anticipated Australian rate if you hang on to it and you lose that discount versus the Irish rate. It, lots of different things we can take into account. But I think it's, yeah, it's really good to kind of get a sense of what you see as the the things that people trip up on yeah <laughs> and it yeah. sounds like taxes there oh, one exactly. um, and from, yeah. from an irish perspective i think as well the concern i have with extra taxes is the treaty between ireland and australia it, it doesn't it doesn't cater for the concept there's extra taxes in canada and the irish canadian tax treaty actually makes provision for that extra tax so i suppose from a technical perspective it causes a few issues doesn't it when when the treaty doesn't necessarily anticipate these domestic taxes so it can become complicated and i think yeah definitely would recommend people take advice in advance if, if they yeah. if that's possible that's so true i think you know, the australian irish treaty is a relatively old treaty that hasn't got that provision for as you mentioned, that sort of transfer of taxing rights on capital gains assets, you know, unlike the Australian-American mm-hmm. one, the Australian-UK one, um, you know, like in your case, the Irish-Canadian one. Unfortunately, Australia and Ireland doesn't have that same provision. So, um, yeah, it can, can create some issues there for sure if you, know, you don't plan around it. But I think that's a good point you raised too, is being proactive. Having a consultation, I think, covering off both you know, the Australian and Irish side is really helpful as well. I'm not looking at it in isolation mm-hmm. Because, you know, as we're sort of chatting through some of the issues now, I think it's really important to see the issues at a holistic level on both sides of the channel, um, as you as you mentioned as well, Steph. Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. definitely. Brad, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Um, I know it's 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 early morning here in Ireland and um, it's, it's later in the day there, so we really appreciate your time. And as always, I'm sure people will glean many useful um, hints and tips. Um, your email address, remind me of it. So if people yeah, want yeah, to contact you. Yeah, my pleasure. You. Thanks for having me on the podcast again, uh, Steph. It's been, been great as always. Um, yeah, please feel free to, to drop me an email. My email is uh, bradley at murphytax.com.au with any questions and yeah, be happy to help. 
Awesome. Brilliant. I'm sure we'll catch up again soon and have a great evening. Yeah, yeah. Have a, have a great day, sir. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tax Bites for Expats. Please do leave a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast. And as always, remember to take professional tax advice specific to your personal circumstances before acting or refraining from action in connection with the matters dealt with in this series. The material in this podcast is intended to give general guidance only.